Deviant. It's me, your favorite, back. And still better than ever, regardless of my dissociation from this universe. Last week, we talked about shit, shit storms. This week, we'll talk about how to cut that shit the fuck out and leave the trash in 2020. We'll also talk about how to murder your husband and get away with it. And last but not least, we will talk about BDSM and how to be a clean-ass bitch, literally. Here it is. It's that time again. Please, please don't forget about me. I'm Beady. I am Beady. Please rate, review, subscribe me. All three if you're feeling ambitious across any and all podcast listening platforms. Let's get to it. Enough about me. Let's talk about you and how the fuck you move on from toxic exes, ex-friends, ex-boyfriends, ex-anyone. Anyone can be an ex if you cut that shit out. Let's get at it, bitches. Say bye-bye, baby. Okay, that's the first step. Say goodbye. (laughs) The first step is break up with them, leave them, tell them that you're not speaking to them anymore, etc. And then the initial crash. You all know you're going to get depressed. You all know it's going to happen. Don't fight it, okay? Embrace your feelings for a limited time. I want you to give yourself a time frame to more. And then once that time frame is up, you slowly start to distract yourself. Starting to move on means doing things where you don't think about that person. So start to add things into your life where you won't think about that person. Blacking out, getting really high, having sex with someone else. Just kidding, those are all unhealthy suggestions, but what am I here for? (laughs) Am I right? Okay. Know what you deserve, though. Really, this is what's going to help you from going back, is knowing what you deserve. Do you know what kind of love you want? Do you think that you deserve it? Stop contacting each other. If you're still contacting each other, it means that you don't respect your own decision. Respect yourself, respect your mind and your body and your emotions, and let yourself go through a grieving period. I don't believe that anyone who is exiting any kind of relationship should continue to speak to each other right afterwards. You're not going to get over each other. You're just going to push it off until you finally stop talking and then it's going to hit you like a fucking tidal wave. Bitch. Another thing that really helps is exercise. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, bitch. (laughs) As if you're going to catch me outside running. The only thing we run from is murderers. Well, guess what, bitch? You are the murderer now, so start fucking running. Start exercising. Those endorphins are free. Free motherfucking happy endorphins. And they're released when you exercise. So get what you deserve, bitch, and exercise your butt off. But actually, you'll be getting more of a butt when you exercise, so 
bonus another thing you can do is go to nature actually the ocean and the forest emit negative ion charges and so it rebalances our ion charge things like the internet and electronics they actually shift our ion charge and so you recenter yourself and you go into nature that's why for a lot of people it's so calming and it is for me another way you can deal with it is counter pain <laughs> i'm talking stub your toe every morning so you remind yourself that at least you're fucking alive and happier than you were yesterday, okay? Sometimes that's how I've had to get through it, and that's okay. But hopefully that doesn't last forever or else your toe is gonna be really black and blue and you probably won't be able to wear money shoes anymore. Say goodbye to your heels, ladies. Join a group with similar hobbies to you. I know that sounds cliche, but what better way to move on from someone than to meet other people who remind you of why you love connection with humans. It's like-minded people. It's people who think the same as you and have the same values as you. Go on a girl's date or a guy's date, and I don't mean in a romantic way. Well, you could make it romantic, I guess, but then it's not really like a friend day. Anyways, the point is, go out with your friends, have some fun, laughter is the world's best medicine. I live, eat, pray that quote. Laughter is the best medicine. I'm serious though, I love to laugh and it gets you out of your head, it releases endorphins as well, it makes you happy, it's contagious. What thing could you ask for that is better than that? And once you reach neutral feelings about the other person, you know you've succeeded. You know that the breakup method has worked. You know that you're ready to spread your wings and fly into the universe. My breakup method has significantly changed. Significantly. Since the um, last and first time I had to go through one. The first breakup I ever went through, I felt like I was gonna die. I literally laid in my own bed for weeks. I cried every single day for hours, for months. I felt numb. I literally thought I was going to die. It sank me into a deep depressive hole. And the reason that I sank into a deep depressive hole is because when you have no reference for pain and you have no reference for how something feels, it feels like the end of the world. That's why they say that pain is, what is it? Pain is relevant? <laughs> pain is um, subjective. Pain is subjective, okay? That's probably not even the quote, but that's what I'm saying. Pain is subjective based on your experiences with it, based on the level you've already experienced. And if you've experienced that situation before, then you know how to deal with it. And if you haven't, then you don't fucking know. So the good thing is I learned from that experience and over the years, I improved it to the point where the last time I broke up with someone, it only took me a couple weeks to get over it. And I'll tell you why. I was religious about it. And I kept in mind why we were separating. And I also kept in mind the fact that nothing's permanent. And by that I mean this. We move through life and everything shifts and changes. The unknowns that are scary after someone leaves your life, whoever they are, will always be there. They're there constantly. We just notice them more when someone leaves. 
because all of a sudden we're alone with ourselves. And when you can learn to be happy alone with yourself, that's when it takes you less time to get over someone. When you are your own best company and your own best friend and you cheer yourself on and you know that you're going to be there for yourself, easy as fucking cake. Easy peasy lemon fucking squeezy, bitch. Next up on our fucking agenda, power dynamics. You have heard about power exchange, but what is it? What is power exchange? Basically, when you're in a type of BDSM style relationship, there's usually a power dynamic or a power exchange. The power exchange is when all of the power or some of the power goes to someone else, so you're submitting to them, and then they use that power in order to dominate you back. The power dynamic is what that looks like to you and in your relationship. So it's really important that you talk to each other and you figure out your boundaries and you negotiate and you make a contract or a really, really detailed list of things you're okay, not okay with, maybe okay with, etc so that your power dynamic can be clear. Because the clearer it is, the more fun you can have, and the less trauma you're gonna cause yourself. If you're not clear with each other, and you're not negotiating things, and you're not expressing what your boundaries are within a power dynamic, it's gonna add some possible psychological damage because you may be consenting to it at the time, but then later on in the scene, or wherever in your dynamic, you start to feel uncomfortable, but then you think you consented it, so it should be okay. But in reality, what happened was your consent wasn't detailed enough, so you need to discuss that. And it's okay to bring it up. It's okay to say, hey, this is making me uncomfortable. Can we talk about it? And you can change your power dynamic. It's not as if you step into a dynamic and that's that, that's it, hard line. If that's the case, that person is toxic, they shouldn't be engaging in BDSM because they don't care about safe, sane, consensual actions. Simple as that. Power dynamics can cause submissives to feel, <laughs> use the pun, addicted to the love. So basically what happens is that the further you go into your power dynamic, the further that you embrace your role. So therefore, the more you're giving to one side, the more you're going to want to give because the feeling of giving up control or getting control can be addictive. This is why it's important to be safe, sane, and consensual. So I want to go over the difference between safe, sane, and consensual situation or example and the reason that it would be abuse or would not be abuse. A BDSM scene that's controlled and it's a cold, controlled situation and by that I mean that there's not going to be any surprises. That's healthy. Abuse, out of control situation. There could be surprises. You don't know if they're going to step over a line. That shouldn't be happening. There shouldn't be any maybes if you don't know if the person's going to be okay with it or not or you haven't specifically talked about it it needs to be talked about pause the scene talk it out and then continue negotiation it should have 
occur before a scene. And by scene, I mean whenever you're engaging in BDSM play for a time. For example, the period of time that you go from seduction to aftercare, that is a scene. So negotiation happens before and it will determine what will and will not happen within that time. Detailed. I cannot stress it enough. Detailed, bitch! <laughs> the abusive version would be one person determines what will happen. So if the dominant or the top or whoever is the only person determining what's going to happen and the other person isn't even really concluding isn't even really included in that decision-making process, that's abusive. If you're even edging towards something that you're like, oh, I've never tried this before with my partner, talk to your partner while you're doing it. Tell them what you're doing. It gives them a chance to say, I don't know, oh, or make any kind of safe word interjection, whether it is red yellow or any other form of safe word that means pause or stop it gives someone a chance to respond if you're just blindly doing things without any chance for the person to think about it that's when it gets dangerous there needs to be a level of control on both sides no matter what the power dynamic is knowledgeable consent from all parties and what that means is this if you're going to engage in activity, both parties know what that activity is, what it means, what the safety precautions are, what should and shouldn't happen, what are the potential hazards or dangers to doing it, and what does it mean. Please, please, please look up what does it mean. You should be talking about it together. You should be researching it together. Everyone needs to be on the same page. Abusive situation, they don't ask for your consent or it's not given because you don't really know what you're consenting to. Next, say that the bottom or submissive has a safe word and it allows them to stop the scene at any time for any reason. That's not to say you should be throwing that shit around. Um, if you really wanna engage in it, you're not going to be throwing that shit around, but they have the safe word. They have the ability to use the safe word and so does the top or dominant. Abusive situation, the person who is being taken advantage of can't stop what's happening. A lot of time abusers will really, really like bondage because it's a physical restraint and they'll use fear as a way to stop you from using your safe word. Please, 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 please vet anyone that you're going to be engaging in BDSM with. What do I mean by vet? I mean this, you ask them questions about their experience, about their past, their traumas. That's the stuff that you need to know. If you engage in any kind of BDSM action or scene with someone, you need to talk about it thoroughly, you need to negotiate thoroughly, and you need to provide consent specifically, both parties. If everyone involved in the scene is concerned about each other's needs and their desires or their limits and boundaries, that's when it's safe because you're thinking of the other person. This also brings me to, it's toxic if someone does not care about you and everything is for them. If you're submissive and you're submitting and it's for you and you don't care about the other person and you're just taking, you're taking their domination almost. I know that sounds weird, but you're not giving them anything in return that's going to satisfy them. That's toxic. 
other way around, if you're only taking someone's submission and you're not giving them anything they need to be satisfied, that's also toxic. It needs to be a healthy, balanced relationship like any other. The abusive situation would be that there isn't concern given to the other party and what their needs or desires or um, hard limits or soft limits are. I think that's really important to remember. Another situation to bring up is that the people engaging in the scene are careful to be sure that they're safe, sane, and consensual and they're not impaired. If you're influenced by alcohol or drugs or anything else, you're not thinking straight, you shouldn't be engaging in any activities that require explicit consent because you can't really give that. The abusive situation is that alcohol and drugs are often used before the scene. They're not thinking straight, they're not thinking about you, their mind and decision making is warped, it's unhealthy. Last but not least, I'll point out this situation. After a scene, you feel good. If you feel good after a scene and satisfied and not like something bad has happened, it was a good scene, it was healthy. Everyone's requirements were met. Still talk about it. Talk about what worked for you. Talk about what made you feel good. If it was abusive, you're gonna feel a twinge of bad um, energy, negativity, whatever you wanna call it. Some kind of yucky feeling, whether it's later, and this needs to be talked about. Talk about it if it happens. Sometimes it's no one's fault. Still talk about it so that you can prevent it from happening in the future. Because the more you talk about things, communication, the better it gets. Sex is supposed to be enjoyable, and how do we make it enjoyable? Communication, bitch. The discussing of a scene afterwards can take place within the aftercare, or later on if you want to cool down from the session and then talk about it, because you don't really want to dive into it right away. Sometimes it feels less sexy if you do that. Wait a couple minutes, wait an hour, wait till that night, then bring it up and talk about it. Whatever you do, please, please, please talk about it with your partner. So, you broke up with them. They pissed you off. Now what? Now what you say? I say knife play. I want to talk about knife play. I've been hearing, surprisingly, on TikTok a lot about knife play, and I just want to say that if you're learning about it for the first time, please listen and listen carefully. If you want to not murder your partner instead of getting over them, here's what you do. What the hell did I say? Knife play? What's the fuck? What's the fuck? What the fuck is knife play? Blades are in the scene. Surprise! What is a scene? We talked about this a couple minutes ago. Scene is BDSM play. Knife is in the scene. That is knife play. Blade play. Basically, it's just present. Things that you can do with it. Cutting clothes, removing hardened wax, small scratches, erotic stimulation. Sometimes it's even just the feeling of the cold blade that gets people excited. This is considered edge play. I'm starting this out by saying to you, if you're getting into hardcore BDSM as us masochists usually do, this is for you. 
This podcast is a guide. It can be a starting point, but in no way do I make this a definitive guide, and it's not a definitive guide for Knife Play. So, please, 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 deviants, I advise you to look in your BDSM community for an experienced knife player or someone who has experienced a lot of it with blade play and edge play and talk to them. Get a mentor. It's the safest way to bring yourself pleasure in these practices. It is possible to do it in a healthy way, but you need to put it into practice and you need someone there who can tell you if you're doing it right. Boom. What is edge play? A subjective term. What? It's a subjective term for the activities that basically walk on the edge, <laughs> pun intended, of safe, sane, and consensual. So what this means is these are high-risk activities, things that you really, really need to plan, plan for, things that need to be negotiated with the utmost detail. They can be hot, they can be sexy, if they're consensual, safe, and safe. In order for that to be so, there needs to be extensive training, supervision, safety precautions like safe words and checking in with your partner and also what are you doing? Do you have a first aid kit? Do you have the supplies you need to stop whatever scene is going on in a safe way? Do you need those things? Thorough negotiations. That's another thing that needs to happen. I again cannot stress enough. Using dom or subspace to let yourself sink into a dark place is not safe, sane, or consensual. This happens a lot when people are under the influence, and that's why it gets so fucking messy, okay? If you're pounding away that pussy and imagining that it's your, like, dead aunt and whatever, uh, that's not, I don't know, okay? Let's maybe rethink. Let's go to our therapist. Let's talk it out. There are actually kink safe therapists if you want to find one to talk about how you can engage in bdsm in a healthy way without your dark side stepping in i know you little demons want to jump in on this but you're only around when there's no sex when sex is involved or edge play is involved get out of here but for the foreplay get back in to the topic. Edge play and blade play are forms of fear play. This means it plays with your adrenaline. It's the excitement, it's the thrill of it. The adrenaline junkie side of you that gets attracted to it. Because of this, it is very easy for people to go past their boundaries. Please, please, please take it slow, step by step. Don't do that. Discuss any mental issues. For example, do you have depression? Do you have anxiety? Have you cut yourself before with knives? Did you ever have a bad experience with knives? Is there trauma that you need to be aware of that it could trigger? Are there any physiological issues? Like, does your blood not clot correctly? Do you have thin blood? Are you under the influence because it thins your blood and you won't be able to heal as quickly if you accidentally get an injury? By the way, if there is blood involved, it's actually a mix of blade play and blood play. So with knife play specifically, there shouldn't be any blood unless you've already consented to that and that's when you're mixing in blood play and you need to do even more research. Never, ever, ever should you engage when your blood is thinned by being under the influence. Because not only does it thin your blood and make it harder to heal, but 
you can't think straight about it, so you may think you're okay when you're not. Also, hygiene's important, so please clean your blades, bitches, before and after you play with them, okay? It's called being smart and letting your toys last as long as they possibly can so we don't go all broke by buying BDSM toys. You may, purposely or not, create some scar with blade play. You don't want these to be infected if this happens, so please keep your clean, clean knives that way clean. Always. And make sure you have what you need if there's a mistake to clean the person's cut. Okay, so make some first aid kits for yourself. Things like bandages, gauze, antiseptic, ice packs, anything to prevent some drop, a stuffed animal, chocolate, a pillow, a book, things that you can have within reach, a phone to call for help. These are all really, really useful and they're smart. Good sex is smart sex. In order to clean your knives, get germicidal soap. Make sure you remove any oil that could have been left on the blade after manufacture. And after that, but before playing, clean it with alcohol. But a high percentage, otherwise it's not gonna clean. At least 70%, I would say. The smaller you get, the less sanitary it is. Think about what you would need to put in hand sanitizer. We're all familiar with that concept by now in 2021. Directly after using them, repeat the alcohol treatment so it kills off any germs that could have been on your partner's skin. Here are some guidelines for your blades. Keep them dry, secure, and clean. Think about what type of blade you should use. Something that locks in place. You don't want that shit flying around, okay? That's dangerous. Folded or otherwise. It should be well balanced so it's not falling out of your hand if you move wrong. It shouldn't be too big because holy hell, maneuvering a big knife is hard. It's also dangerous. I would suggest to avoid anything with a double edge because it offers more room for mistakes. And on top of that, please do not pick a knife that has a serrated area. God, you do not want to shred your partner's skin. This is edge play. It is dangerous. It can be done healthy, but only if it was done smart, guys. Oh God, I hate to think about what would happen if, if that were the case with serrated knives. Moving on so I don't have to think about that mental image. Never, ever, ever bring a knife in during sex in case of an accident. What if it falls, you get bumped, you don't know what's going to happen because sex is not exactly a contained activity, if you know what I mean. The zones that are safe, look them up so you know them well. There are actually areas of the body that you should never be using blade play or knife play with. The areas that are safe are your tops of your thighs, your lower arms, the backs of your thighs, and your ass cheeks. The other places, there's like high risk, medium risk, and then the low risk areas that I suggested just now, but a lot of high risk areas have arteries that can be severed or punctured, and that's really, really dangerous. You'll have to go to the hospital if you start bleeding out. There shouldn't be any blood in knife play, as I said, because that's blood play unless you consent to it. If there is blood presence and it wasn't supposed to be there or anything happens that wasn't supposed to, stop the scene. Stop the scene, check in with each other, make sure you're both okay, and then either stop, continue with aftercare, or go back into the scene if you're both okay.
It is I, your Russian sugar baby, here to tell you how to murder your husband when they piss you off. Okay. Did I kill my husband? <laughs> no, but I will tell you how to kill yours. So you take a needle and you find him when he is sleeping. You first, you feed him lots and lots of vodka. This makes him fall asleep. Then you take out your needle and you poke it in his eye. That's right, I said the eye. Because when you poke it in the eye, then there is no trace. There is nothing. All they have is death. Yes, and that is how you do it. And when the police come to your door, you say to them, It was I who discovered the body. My poor, poor husband. He's dead. And they go, ma'am, how is it that he died on this property? And you tell him. You tell those cops. I don't know. Maybe his stress was because he was such an asshole. And then they go, why, ma'am? Is he going to hurt you? And you say, yes. Yes. Emotionally, he hurt me already. He hurts me every day when he tells me that he's going to work instead of buying me clothes. He hurts me every day when he makes me no soup and I make him bushed. He hurts me every day when he does not give me everything I want. And they tell you, ma'am, that is no reason to murder your husband. And I say, have you ever had a husband? No? Then how would you know? And that is how you murder your husband and also get away with it. Welcome to Masturbation Station Feed Vibrators. Why are there so many kinds and why are they so damn expensive? Let me tell you. Because there's so many different kinds of vaginas. These pussies, they're all beautiful. These pussies, these petunias, they all have different petals. And so how do you make a vibrator? Forever. You make a lot of them and you make them all different. It's like God making all the animals. Except he provided us the vibrators instead. So basically what I do is I figure out what kind of stimulation I like. Personally, I'm very sensitive. I like wide, flat surfaces that don't provide too much direct stimulation, but like if I wanted to, I could press it a little harder and basically create direct stimulation. That's what I suggest, ladies. Masturbate until you know what kind of vibrator you need, because you'll know what pleasure you need. And that's what's important, is providing yourself with the proper pleasure in order have a fucking no. Men, if you're ever buying a vibrator for a woman as a gift, or women, if you're buying a vibrator to anyone as a gift, anyone's buying anyone a vibrator, pass it all around. Let me tell you something. The best bet is to go with something with multiple settings, because you can have like 50 vibrators in one, and it's brilliant. It's like, they don't like this setting, it's almost like you whipped out a new vibrator and all of a sudden they're trying something else that's new, but it's actually just the same thing and you saved yourself a lot of money. How much sex or masturbating is normal and how much is too much and how many vibrators is too much and how much vibrator use is too much? Well, 
let me tell you, bitch. Okay, so there's never too much masturbation. At least once a day, okay? That's what I suggest. You need to keep yourself healthy and satisfied and look how happy you are every time you finish having sex and you have an O. Make that happen for yourself every day. Love yourself like you would love your partner. How many times should you use a vibrator? I start to get desensitized if I use a vibrator too much. Therefore, I recommend using it every single time you masturbate and then when you start to feel like you take a long time, you switch it up with something else like actual sex. Or your fingers or someone else's fingers. Actually, if you take your man's fingers and you, you put it on your vagina and you do it, it's like someone else's, but you're controlling it, and so it feels like it's a double whammy. Someone else is doing it, but you still show them exactly how to do it. And that's my infomercial on masturbation. Basically, guys, what I'm saying is do enough to keep you happy and healthy, and everyone is different. So there's no right answer, okay? Just make yourself feel good and make yourself happy, and that includes orgasms. Hygiene. What is it? Before and after you murdered your husband, let's talk about it. Cleaning yourself, cleaning your toys, cleaning up the blood from the murder, discharge, women's underwear, men's underwear, let's talk about it. So basically, clean yourself. Did you know that you should only use soap on your vagina at least? Never? We actually self-clean, but if you really feel like you need to use soap down there, once a week, max. I used to get so many infections, and my vagina pH was so off, and it's because I was using soap every single time I was in the shower, and it was disrupting my vagine. They know what they're doing. They're masterpieces. There's no way that we need to help them. They have it all. What is discharge? Discharge is a substance that comes out of a woman's pussy. Yes, men, it comes out of a woman's pussy without the help from you, or a period, or a baby. It's simply... well, I don't know what it is. But to be honest, it's normal, and it can have such a high pH that it literally will bleach your underwear or burn holes in it. Yes, you heard me right. So, that's why women can't do two-day underwear, because we'll get a yeast infection. But men can flip their underwear inside out and wear it a second day. Did you know that men do that? Fun fact. <laughs> Guys, cut that shit out, okay? Just do your laundry. Please just do your fucking laundry. I would like to say, cleaning your toys. Pay attention to what they're made out of. Because some things are not actually going to clean well. Sometimes you need a cleaning solution. Sometimes it's just hot water and soap. If you go back to my sex ed episodes, I talk a little bit about materials of things and what is staining and what isn't. So be aware of those things for your hygiene. Every time you use a toy, you should be cleaning it and then putting it away in a safe contained space. That's how you don't give yourself infections and that's how you keep the fun rolling. If you did actually murder your husband, well, I'll just, I'll just turn this one over to my little friend, Russian Sugar Baby. Okay, so Russian Sugar Baby suggests that in order to clean up the blood, you won't have to because you use my method of the needle in the eye. Okay, yes, but what if they didn't use that method and they need to clean up the blood? Then I suggest that... 
You take the bleach, you clean the blood first into a sponge, you burn the sponge or the rag, and then you pour bleach all over it. You pour bleach and bleach and bleach, or you pour gasoline, and then you burn the house down. Okay, and that's how you clean up the blood from a murder in your place. You're welcome. Anything that's been in the butt does not go to the front. You'll both get an infection. Yes, women can get an infection and then men can get an infection from her or if there is poop in the wrong place, you're both going to get an infection first. Because you know when you go to the doctor, they're going to ask the man what it was from and they're going to believe them, but they're going to tell you women that you have chlamydia. And you're going to have to convince them that it's not. It's just that your partner didn't know what they were doing and neither did you. And now you're here. Protect yourselves. Prevention is necessary. From sexism. From misogyny. For both of you. Internalized? Not great. On the outside, still not great. One time I gave my ex a yeast infection. Because I didn't know I had one. And then we had sex a lot. And then... He was like, why is there a rash on me? And he accused me of having an STD, but really it was just a yeast infection. Um, and then later he got chlamydia and told me it was from a toilet seat in the mall. Um, yeah, so anyways, shaving, waxing, bleaching your buttholes. Do we really need to do this? Does it actually keep us clean? Shaving, waxing, either way, it's going to give you the same result. People will convince you one is better than the other. But I'm telling you from experience... They both have pros and cons. Bleaching your butthole. Don't fucking do it, guys. Oh my god, let me bring it back to the old days. I mentioned this as an example previously, and I'll do it again. In caveman days, no one's bleaching their fucking asshole, okay? They're looking at those brown buttholes, and they don't really care, because that's where poop comes out of. So why would you even really care what it looks like, okay? If you're interested in putting your pee-pee in a poo hole, then just fucking deal with it. Ladies, do not feel embarrassed if you have a brown butthole. I have a brown butthole. Everyone has a brown butthole. People who bleach their buttholes, they need to do it continuously or else they'll get a brown butthole. Basically what I'm saying is don't put unnecessarily toxic materials onto your skin. Doesn't really matter. Guys don't notice anyways. Girls don't notice anyways. All we care about is that you're clean. UTIs can happen if you're not clean. Please pee after sex. Both men and women, cis, otherwise, however you identify, pee after motherfucking sex. Thank you. Being hygienic means being aware when making rules. And that's my TED Talk on hygienics. We're moving on to the next subject, but it's still related. What do I taste like and what do I smell like? And by I, I don't just mean me. I mean all of us deviants. Have you ever wondered? what you taste like or smell like. I have, and it seems to be a non-issue except for the fact that my own anxiety can make me self-conscious about it. Smells change in a hormonal cycle. For a while, I thought I had a recurrent infection because every time I got my period, I would smell myself. I would get a whiff of myself, and I thought I was, like, too pungent. Ugh, don't like that word, but I'm using it. Pungent. Yeah, it turns out it's just a hormonal cycle. I'm here to tell you that both 
a penis and a vagina have a smell and a taste. And the way that you can tell that it is not healthy is when it changes drastically. You usually have a certain smell, so get used to it. I'm serious, guys. Smell yourself. Taste yourself. Then you kind of know when something's off. Also, ask your partner when they go down on you if you taste different. Um, tell your partner if they taste different or smell different. Guys, let's rely on each other. Let's, let's be there for each other. We got our own backs, but we got each other's backs too, okay? What does semen taste like? Warm coconut water, kind of, is like the most accurate, but like warm coconut water if it was like a smoothie, because it's thicker. It's not that bad, guys. Unless you eat like shit, then it's going to be bad, because it's going to taste like shit, okay? So cut that shit out once again. Women, same thing for you. But also, guys, please, 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 and by guys, I mean everyone I'm talking to right now, whoever's listening, if you eat too much sugar, it's actually just going to give you a yeast infection. It's not going to make you taste better. What makes you taste better is a healthy, balanced diet and enough water. I cannot stress that enough. If you're dehydrated, it's going to make your taste super, super intense. So no matter what it is, it's going to be a little overwhelming. Keep yourself hydrated. Water solves everything. Hydration, headache, drought, exes, husbands. I'll just let that sink in. Okay, um... <laughs> How do you keep the bacteria in your vagina healthy, you ask? <laughs> you use probiotics. And I don't mean the ones that you swallow orally. You actually need probiotics that you put as a suppository up there. Because that's how you access your magical Dordinardia. Where all of your health is in your vagina and your uterus. And the other way to keep your bacteria healthy is once again a balanced diet, lots of sleep, and being hydrated. Period sex. What is the blood? And when does it make a mess? Let me tell you, the blood. It's blood, but also it's cells, dead cells, and the egg that passed through us that you didn't fertilize, and now it's expelled from our body, and our body is now telling us that it's angry because we don't have a baby. So then it starts to shed it all. It's like dramatic as fuck. It's like, you didn't give me a fucking baby. Well, fuck this. I'm just going to leave your fucking body. And it realizes that you're the only thing that makes it live. So it stays in your body. I'm kidding. No, but seriously, the blood is dead cells and blood and the egg. That's what it is. It makes a mess when it's super, super heavy flow, but it doesn't just gush out of you all at once. What happens is that your lady parts have contractions. And when you have contractions, it's pushing blood and the cells out of your body. And that's when the blood comes out. It's not just constantly pouring out of us. I promise. Also, if you're on your period and you have a tampon in, there's not going to be any blood on there. Guys, girls, you can still go down on each other. Trust. Let's talk about it. Well, well, trust is the foundation of a relationship. If you don't have trust, you don't really have a solid relationship, and that's where the insecurities start to come in. Trust is the first sign of if you are in a healthy human connection. Let me ask you this. 
Once you break trust, can it be rebuilt? Yes, it can. But what it involves is being able to put your ego aside and understand each other with compassion. That's the only way it can be rebuilt. And if you can't do that, the trust will be broken. The more intensified your power dynamic is in a BDSM relationship, the more trust is required. And that's why it needs to be built up and that's why it's important to start step by step by step and not jump all the way into the deep end. Because you need the trust. Without that, it's dangerous. I'll just say it. Trust each other. Know who you're playing with. Make sure that you're building trust with each other on both ends. There is more responsibility and self-awareness required for BDSM than regular old vanilla bean life. So trust me when I say that your partner and you need that as a foundation. That brings us to the end of this motherfucking episode, Deviants. I hope that you learned something new, and if you didn't, then I hope you peed yourself laughing at moving on via Shamurder. And don't forget to brat out on your dom, tease your sub, seduce the fuck out of your partner or your Tinder date, you badass fucking authentic beings. Bless you all from the second circle. Sincerely. <laughs> Me.